All right, gra- grab your uh, Bibles. Go to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. And, and you know, just even this past week as I was preparing for this message, it was been uh, super encouraging getting texts and phone calls and, and just people who are all in the same place where we're looking at what's going on and there's this this feeling, maybe maybe you're there where you're just like, man, I'm just tired of this. Healthcare workers who are just playing war out. Parents who are like, man, just trying to figure out how how to care for my kids when things are so upside down. And and students who are going, man, my school's kind of been messed around. I'm just trying to figure this out. And you're just so tired of looking at a screen all day and and a church that's kind of tired of of watching online or gathering in, in cars and tired of tired of being separated, tired of the divisiveness of this season. I mean, if you're with me, I mean, I, I'm just hearing people say, man, just longing for some sort of return to normal, unmasked, undistanced. How can we get back to this normal life? And, and here's part of it. Many of us who are younger, right, have never experienced any kind of this societal upheaval before. Right, so many of us ne- ne- never lived through wars or famine or political strife. So it's, it's a new thing for our generation in Canada, the, the uncertainty and the chaos. You know, in wisdom and love, Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, he said, hey, Peter, I'm going to allow you to go through a time of sifting, of shaking, does it feel like that? Does it feel like this has been a bit of a time of, of sifting, that, that our church has, has gotten sifted a little bit, that our lives are being sifted a little bit, and, and things that used to seem so normal and easy and sure and stable aren't so much anymore. Maybe aren't as steady as we thought. It's exposed a lot in our society, a lot in, in, in churches, a lot as Christians, a lot as families or individuals. There's been a, a sifting. And some are thriving in Christ during this season. Some are struggling during this season. Some are drifting in this season. But here's one thing that's for sure, and this is me. What I thought was solid and sure maybe isn't as solid and sure as I thought. So what do we need then in a time like this? We need something that's, that's unmovable, something that is sure, something that is steadfast. Because here's what I love for us as a church, what I'm praying for myself. God, God, allow us to live a life that is steadfast, that is abounding, that, that's like you read throughout the New Testament over and over again. In, in Colossians 1.23, we're, we're called to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope we have in the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says nearly the same thing, that, that we would have a steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then you come to Daniel chapter 11, and and you can read over it quickly. I don't know if you read through it this week, but a lot of verses there, you can read through it, and you can be like, okay, I read through that, check, did Daniel chapter 11, but man, I'm not sure this really changes my life. I'm not sure this really, I need hope. Is is this bringing me hope? I mean, I need encouragement. I need fuel for my faith today, and Daniel 11 seems like a whole lot of words, but not a lot of fuel. And and there's something that can happen when we read God's word. We can disconnect the words from this fact. Daniel was a real guy. 
He, he lived in a real place with, with other real people under very real trials and struggles. And Daniel, coming to chapter 11, is in a place where he so desperately needed fuel for his faith. He needed endurance. He, he'd been 70 years in captivity. Right? Can you imagine 70 years? I can imagine the governor of their day saying, just three weeks to do it. 70 years later. Not allowed to go home. But, but, but now, 70 years are up. Now they're able to return to their homeland. And as they return there, they return. And it's still a struggle. It hasn't been smooth sailing. Life still is hard. There's opposition. There's division. There's uncertainty. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so Daniel chapter 11, given to Daniel in a time where Daniel needed endurance, in a time where Daniel's saying, God, what's going on? Like, this is not how I thought life was going to be, and we need help here, Lord. And God gives Daniel these words. I mean, this is why this book has been so good for my soul in this season, because, man, I need perseverance. I need endurance. I, I need fuel for my weak faith. And so where do we go? Where do we go to grow our faith? Where do we go to gain and increase our perseverance? How do we stand firm when, when the world around us seems like it's crashing? And I, I want a hope that's deeper than just somebody who gets up on a, a stage and gives me a pep talk. I, I want a hope that's stronger than just blind optimism. I want my faith to be fueled. I want to have an endurance. I want to have an endurance that can have energy and power in it. So this chapter might seem like a ton of words as we read through it. There's, there's a lot of history. There's some hard to understand prophecy. But my, my hope this morning is this, that in this chapter, you find some rocket fuel for your faith. And here's the main point. It's one point this morning, right? Here it is, that my, that my faith is fueled by, by knowing this truth. Listen, the one who spoke the word is the one who holds my world. What we're going to see here is that the one God who speaks the word is the same one who holds my world. Because we're about to see some incredible prophecy. In fact, this chapter right here, Daniel 11, probably has the most fulfilled, specific prophecy crammed into one section than all of Scripture. And the, the first half of the prophecy, the first half of Daniel 11, it's prophecy to Daniel, but it's history to us. So we can see this amazing accuracy and detail in the first 35 verses with over 130 prophecies fulfilled to the detail. So chapter 11, what it is, is we're circling back to the prophecies we read in, in chapter 2, and chapter 7, and chapter 8, and chapter 10. Because what happens in apocalyptic literature, Revelation does this as well. It's, it explains something and then circles back and gives more detail. Circles back and gives more detail. Circles back. And we get clarity every time. And so here, Daniel 11, God's given Daniel some clarity. There's a lot of verses here. We're not going to read them all. We're going to read a bunch of them, and I want to focus in on some of them. And, and you can grab a, a good commentary on your own, go through Daniel 11 and see this stuff, the prophecies that have been fulfilled, see the detail, and let the mind-blowing detail fuel your faith. Why? Because you'll see the one who spoke this word is the one who holds your world. Now, why is God laying this out for Daniel? Look at verse 2. It says, and now I will show you the truth. 
I want to show you some truth, Daniel. Daniel, you need truth. You're, you're in a tough time. It's confusing. It's hard. And you need to persevere. You need to endure through this. And again, faith isn't strengthened by really good pep talks. It's strengthened by truth. And so for Daniel, for you and me, here is some incredible truth. Look at verse 2. It says this. Behold... Three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Here again, we have Xerxes, the the king of Persia. He is huge. He is powerful. We can read about him in the book of Esther where it says he ruled from India to Ethiopia. If you've seen the movie 300, he's the guy with the really cool like jewelry hanging off his face. Powerful, huge, all right? He, he invaded Greece with, with over 2.5 million soldiers. Kept invading Greece and conquering and conquering until eventually Greece was like, hey, enough of this. And look at verse three. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do all, do as he wills. This is talking about Alexander the Great coming out of Greece, and and he's the the bronze part of the statue in chapter 2. He's the goat in chapter 8. He's powerful, but but he doesn't last long. Alexander the Great dies at age 33. Look at verse 4. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken. So very quickly, it doesn't last long. His kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, not according to the authority which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. What do we know from history? How this was fulfilled, his kingdom divided. Not to his sons, not to his posterity. They were murdered, right? That's that's not what he'd wanted. He dies young. Four generals take over and the kingdom's divided into four. Look at verse five, goes on. And the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule. His authority shall be a great authority. So, so what, what's happening now in these prophecies, they begin to focus in on two of these four kingdoms. And you're gonna hear throughout the rest of these verses, you're gonna hear about the kingdom in the north and the kingdom in the south. That's in relation to Israel in the middle. So the kingdom of the north, the Seleucid kingdom, or or Syria, the kingdom in the south, right, the the Ptolemaic kingdom, or or Egypt. And so here you got a kingdom in the north, a kingdom in the south, and and why is this important? Because right in between the two, where the battles most often happen, is the kingdom of Israel. To to the one side, you got the Mediterranean, you can't fight there. To the other side, you've got the the desert of Arabia, you can't go into, into the desert. And so what do you do? All these battles happening on this little thin strip of Israel. Verse 6 goes on. It says, After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and, and he who supported her in those times. What's going on here? Again, looking at history to see the detail fulfilled in this. We read about how the king of Egypt gives his daughter to the king of Syria and says, if I give my daughter to him to marry, now I've got an in. Now we've got a way to take them over. And what happens is, though, the king of Syria, his wife that he gets rid of to marry this new young Egyptian girl, she's not so happy with it. What does she do? It says that they're not going to retain their strength. What happens is she kills both the king, the, the, the girl, and her son. 
Now, Ptolemy, the king of Egypt, he does get his revenge in, in verse 7, verse 10, and falling. You see the story of the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms, two kingdoms at war. You see the detail, and we're not going to get into all the detail, but again, read that on your own and see how, how precise this prophecy is being fulfilled. Verse 17, you get to this. It says, He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. Here you see again, they try this again. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. So here we have the, the reverse happening. You got now Cleopatra. Remember you guys know that name, right? Antiochus the Great, he's in power. He gives his daughter Cleopatra to the Egyptian king. Again, trying the same plan. Now it's going the other way. Say maybe if, if, if I give her that, I'll have advantage. But what happens? She falls in love with her husband. She sides with Egypt. And Egypt, Egypt has victory. Verse 20. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. Again, the one who speaks these words, he holds the world. Because the detail of this, what happens is the northern kingdom rises up again. And there's a king of the northern kingdom and he heavily taxes the people. And he's trying to make up for all the debt incurred by all the battles, all the failed wars. But what happens? How does he die? Not, not in anger nor in battle. He's poisoned by his head tax collector. Detail after detail. Prophecy for Daniel, history for us, giving us fuel for Daniel's faith. And God's saying, be steadfast, Daniel. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Put your hope in me. It's fuel for our faith. The one who speaks the words holds our world. Now those verses I just burned through super quick, they cover about a little over 300 years. And now what happens in verse 21, the prophecy begins to slow down a little bit. And we focus in on one main person, one king. Verse 21, it says, In his place shall arise a contemptible person, to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. What's it saying? saying this next king that comes in here doesn't come in, doesn't deserve the kingdom. We know from history that, that this guy here who being talked about, his brother was the rightful king, but through bribery, through assassination, through political maneuvering, this king comes to power. This king here is the same king we talked about in chapter 8 of Daniel, Antiochus Epiphanes. He named himself that, Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes meaning God in the flesh. That's, that's how he viewed himself. I am, I'm like a God. And these next verses lay out what his rule was like. He was ruthless. He spoke with flattery and lies. He, he dealt cruelly with the people. And many people would say that this is the Antichrist of the Old Testament. He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, and history tells that those around him didn't call him Epiphanes, they called him Epinemes, which means not the God-man, but the madman. He's the, the Hitler of ancient history. There are, there are historical records of, of this next prophecy here that says this. Look at verse 29. It says, at the, uh, at the time appointed, he shall return, come into the south, come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim have come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. 
He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So here's what's going on here. Here's, here's what happens. Antiochus Epiphanes comes down trying to defeat Egypt. Can't do it. Egypt was too powerful. But not just that. There was a Roman navy that was there, this fleet. And he thought they'd be friendly to him, but they weren't. They, they were against him as well. And so he's done. He can't, he can't win the battle. He, he turns to go home. And it says he's enraged. So as he passes through Israel, angry that he couldn't win the victory. History tells us that in three days, he killed over 80,000 Jewish men, women, and children. He hated God's people with a passion, right, against the Holy Covenant. He, he hated them. In fact, there's history that tells us this, that if, if you were in Israel that time under Antiochus Epiphanes, if you had your son circumcised and he found out he would kill your son, that he would tie the body of your child around the neck of the mother and push them both off a cliff. He wasn't just trying to kill the people of God. We read here, he's trying to eliminate God completely. Look at verse 31. It says, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. This is a, a, a phrase we read in Daniel, we read it again in the New Testament, the abomination, the, the disgrace, the horror that makes desolate, that, that scatters the people, that, that took out the temple, that eliminated worship. What did he do? He goes into the temple, Antiochus Epiphanes. He kills the priests. He sets up a statue of Zeus and sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple. Again, though, look at verse 32. All of this happening, this, this horrible time in the history of God's people. But verse 32 says, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. So those who say, I would rather be comfortable. I would rather not get killed for my faith. I would rather disobey God and obey Antiochus. But it says this, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And I underline that stand firm in my Bible. I love that stand firm. Be steadfast, endure. Those who what? Those who knew God. Those who knew that the one who spoke the word is the one who rules the world. And they now have this hope in God. They, they now build their lives on this immovable rock of truth. And what happens? There's a, a remnant, a group of those who have endurance in these trials. They're faithful. They take action. Now, before we unpack, hey, what does this mean for us today? I want to tell you what went down, what actually took place in history coming out of that verse 32. See, in, in 165 BC, Antiochus is overthrown. And, and here's how it went down. There was this simple country priest, Mattathias. He sees what's going on in the temple. He sees that, that, that Antiochus is eliminating the worship of God. And he's like, no way. And I'm not going to worship false gods, he says. I'm not going against what God calls me to. So he and his five sons, they, they come in down into, into Jerusalem. And, and his son Judas kind of leads the way and takes action. This family, they were given the nickname Maccabees. Maybe you've heard of that, the, the Maccabean revolt. The, this family called the Maccabees. And that name Maccabees, it means the hammer. That's a sweet nickname, right? Judas the hammer. Like every dude listening is like, yeah, that, that's a, I want that name, right? Turn to your wife, hey, babes, from now on, call me the hammer. 
I'm, that's what, right? It's such a great name. And, and look, I'll leave it to you to, to read the rest of the history of the Maccabees, but it was amazing. You see this small group of faithful men of God standing up to thousands of Antiochus' soldiers. In fact, the Jewish holiday Hanukkah, sorry, Hanukkah is a celebration of this victory of the Maccabees. Now that's where the menorah was lit. They only had enough oil for one day to, to burn the menorah in the temple, but, but miraculously it burned for eight full days. And this faithful remnant stood firm. So here's Daniel. The people of God returning to Israel and, and they're leaving a comfortable life they made for themselves in Babylon and they go back to their homeland and their homeland is in ruins. And they need to know as they go back that God is in control. They need to have a hope that's immovable. They, 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 all they could see is the chaos, the uncertainty, the hardships. I mean, aren't we the same? Where, where the suffering can be so close. This is all I see. I just see the trials. I just see the suffering. And so what do we need? We need to see something bigger. That God has a plan. That he's working out his purposes. And so for the rest of this chapter, from about chapter, verse 36 on, it now moves to prophecy for, for us. The whole thing was prophecy, but, but right before that, all the rest of those prophecies have been fulfilled. So if you want to think about, hey, where do we as the church fit in this? You're in that space in Daniel 11. That's, that's where we would fit. So what do we get to do? Sitting in that little white space in our Bible, we get to look back in history and see all this prophecy fulfilled to the detail. And we get to look forward to the rest of these verses and see prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Now why would I say that? If this was meant to encourage Daniel to stand firm, do you see the unbelievable advantage we have over Daniel? An advantage that even Daniel didn't have. The, this prophecy given to encourage him that, that kings are going to come, kings are going to go, but God is in control. Hundreds of years of history in those verses, and what do we see over and over again? God's in control. And we get to see it played out. That the one who spoke the words holds my world. We have a hope in looking back and seeing God's promises fulfilled to the detail to Daniel. And so with that, we can look forward with a hope as we look at where we are today and what tomorrow might hold. Look at verse 33. It says this, And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. It's not going to be an easy time. Following God is going to be difficult. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. He's saying, this is still coming. We're still looking forward to this, and as we look forward to the appointed time, we're seeing this, man, there's going to be horrible trials ahead. And it says here, some will give up. But others will stand firm. They'll endure. They'll be refined. They'll be purified. They'll be made white, it says. The, the same image given in the book of Revelation. It, to that end of time, where we get to that place where there'll be a multitude of those who are steadfast and by grace, the grace of God, have endured. 
And so the rest of this chapter now, talking about this Antiochus-like figure, it's going to be like, well, this sounds like Antiochus Epiphanes, but there's something more about him, something far worse about him. This coming Antiochus. Verse 36 says this, and this king will, will do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god. For he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortress instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor the, with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortress with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, shall, he, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. There's this picture of this coming Antiochus, a, a, a an antichrist that's coming. The, the antichrist, I believe, described in, in Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness, the one described in so much detail in the book of Revelation, that he's coming to set himself up as God, to, to bless those, to, to reward those who follow him. In fact, Jesus himself would say in Matthew 24, 15 to 16, he says, there's coming a time when you will see the abomination of desolation spoken about in Daniel, Jesus says. So quoting Daniel, Jesus says, hey, it's coming again. What happened in the past was a picture of what's coming in the future. There will be another abomination of desolation. Verse 40 goes on. It says, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships. Some say, who is that? What's the king of the north is going to come down? Is it Russia? Is that what it, it may be. We don't know, right? But there's, there's kingdoms coming down, and it says, and he shall come into countries that shall overflow and pass through. And people have been guessing for, for so much time, who are all these armies? And we don't know really where they are, but we know this, a showdown will happen. That what we feel today sometimes, and we feel like there's persecution, we know there's for sure persecution happening around the world, where, where right now we feel kind of upset that we're parked in cars, but knowing that, that in other parts of the world people are beheaded because they claim the name of Jesus. And we know that it's only going to get worse. The church under attack, Israel, a central part of this showdown. And the rest of the chapter here just talks about the trials and the hardships still to come. But look at verse 45. Talking to the Antichrist again, he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. It means he's gonna have a, a huge reign, but look and listen, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. You get to the very end, and you go, right, God wins. I don't want to candy coat it here. Daniel's calling us to endurance. He's saying, God does win, but it's not gonna be an easy go for us. When Jesus said this, he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If you're a Christ follower, listen, the mission is going to be difficult. Those who live a godly life will face persecution. But you go back to verse 32 again. There's a promise in the midst of the trials. We can stand firm. We can persevere. 
in the New Testament, that, that word for endure or persevere, there's a, a Greek word that's used for that that literally means this. We can remain under the trial. When the, when the pressure of, of lockdowns come, we don't have to run and escape for comfort. No, we, we can stay on mission. We can be focused on our hope. We're not going to let the trial to cause us to lose our hope. We're not going to come out from underneath. We're going to remain under. We're not going to run out and look for hope in, in comfort and ease, but we're going to stay under and say, no, my hope is in this, that even in this trial, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that I am his own. I am his possession. And then if you have trusted in Christ, given your life to him, saying, I'm following him and none else, that right now, even in the midst of trial, you are an accepted child of God. No matter what comes. And you can trust that God is in control. And, and he has a plan that we may not be able to see what he's up to, but we can rest in his hands. As we live in that space in Daniel 11, between verse 32 and the rest of the chapter, we can have a hope. We can read 11 and go, man, just how God's promises were fulfilled. And listen, picture the people of, of Daniel's time. They're going back to Israel, to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding this temple that's been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And they're putting block upon block. Picture yourself, you're, you're back in Jerusalem, everything's flattened and you're, you're in charge of building these steps up to a temple that's not even there yet. And you're discouraged. It's hard work, there's, there's opposition, there's division, and, and there's, there's this, people aren't united in the work and all you can see in front of you is a job, the hardship of building these steps. And God so wants them to know as they're building, I have plans you don't know about. That in about 500 years on those very steps, a young couple will come to dedicate a new baby they just had. And they'll meet up with an old couple, Simeon and Anna, who would recognize this child is the Messiah we've been praying for. That 12 years later, on those same very steps, uh, uh, that, that this newborn returned as a young boy and he would walk up those steps to go into the temple and he would astonish the religious leaders with his wisdom and his knowledge. Years later, this same Jesus would start a ministry and he would come back into the temple up those same steps to clean house in the temple, to, to throw all the money changers down those steps to reclaim the temple as a place of prayer. That after Jesus dies and raises again, conquering sin and death, and he ascends to heaven, two of his, his followers, Peter and John, will come up to these same steps to meet a lame man who'd never walked, and they would heal him right there to proclaim the new covenant, new life in Christ. If you're in Daniel's time building those steps, you can't see that. You wouldn't have known that. All you're thinking is, man, I'm just building these steps. Hopefully we get a place to worship not knowing that they were preparing the way for the Messiah. And sometimes we can't see past our hardships, but listen, you don't know what God might be up to. You don't know what he's gonna do with your faithfulness in this season. What eternal plans he has for you and how you walk out these days. What he's gonna do with that word you spoke to someone. How he's using the trial you're enduring through. 
How he's using the, the joy you have in hard times. How he'll take that small gift that you gave. How, how he'll take the hospitality that you showed. The, the prayer that you prayed. The hug that you gave. The heartfelt talk that you had. The verses you shared with someone. So let's not be distracted from the mission we've been called to, but instead let's endure the hardship. Let's endure the goofiness of this season for the mission. To keep our eyes on Jesus. To, to be the people from verse 32 who know their God. Let's keep our focus on Christ. I think it's why even gathering in our cars is so important. Why, why? It, it's why? It's why making the time to be online, to, to gather together online is so important because we're, we're making this sacrifice. Why? To be encouraged by those around us and to encourage others. But I'd say if you drive in in the drive-in service, and I know you're already doing this, that you'd, people beside you, you've got an opportunity to, hey, I've never parked beside you before. How's it going? How are you doing? How can we pray together even here online? The same praying as families, reaching out smaller groups that are meeting to watch online telling each other stories. Tony, I've been so encouraged this week just talking with people who are all saying the same thing. This is hard, but God is so good. And I needed to hear that this week. I, I needed to be reminded of the hope that we have in the God that we know. Why? Because we know the one who spoke these words is the one who rules our world, who has my world in his hands. So let's avoid putting our focus on the circus all around us. And again, I keep saying this, I'll say it again. I, I don't care if you don't think this is a real pandemic or, or if you think it's a dangerous government overreach or if you think it's a, a dangerous virus and a strain on our medical system. The answer from God's word is the same. God, you're in control. And my, mi amen. And my, mission, my mission remains the same. I wanna keep my focus on Jesus. I want to be united with each other. I don't want to abandon my community of believers, but I want, I want to remind each other of the hope we have to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And then we go out on mission. I mean, it's what we say all the time. We're about abiding in Christ, gathering in community, going out on mission, point, pointing others with how we live and how we speak about the hope we have in Christ. I mean, here's the thing. This is not what we would have chosen for this season. There's nobody who would have said, man, I, I would choose this. Daniel would not have chosen what God predicted. Hey, Daniel, life's going to be hard. We didn't choose this, but listen, God ordained this. I mean, what season are you in right now? What season are you in where you would say, God, I would not have chosen this, but you've entrusted me with this season. Maybe for you it has nothing to do with COVID. Maybe for you this morning it's a relationship struggle. Maybe for you it's a health crisis you're in. And you're like, God, I would never have chosen to suffer in this way. But by your grace and in your sovereignty, you've chosen to entrust me with this season. So our hope then, our hope is not in an ending of a pandemic. Our hope is not in the, the healing or the financial turnaround, although we pray for those. But our hope is what? That we would continue in our faith, steadfast, stable. Not moving out from the hope that we hold out in the gospel, Colossians 1.23. So 
what do we do? We remind ourselves every day, my, my hope is in the gospel. My, my hope and my identity is in this. If you know Jesus, your hope is in my past has been dealt with. I don't live under condemnation anymore because Jesus took care of that. My today is covered as well. I love Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but now it's Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh, the life I live right now. He says, I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself up for me. He says, Jesus was, took care of my past and he's taking care of my life today. So in the light of the struggle, it's not my strength. I'm resting in the hope of the gospel again. Uh, to know that today you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you look forward to your future that's guaranteed. That's the hope that endures. It's so important to stay here because in the times of suffering, that's when Satan lays on some heavy attacks and, and he, he'll attack your mind with fear, with anger, with, with questions that are just so overwhelming. Where's your God now, he says. Because it pressed in me, you've prayed until you have no tears left to cry. You've, you've, you've stood on these promises, you've trusted, but it looks like you failed. It looks like your faith has failed. You can't trust God. And that's been Satan's lie from the beginning. He presses in on some of the godliest men and women who's ever lived and they, they, fake, they face these attacks when life seemed hopeless. And so right here, right now, for us today, as you're going through a, a valley of the shadow of death today, maybe, hear the word of the Lord over the lies of Satan that through all the tears, all the pain, all the darkness, when it seems hopeless, that you could hear the words of Jesus saying to you, I'm with you. Take courage. And he'd be saying, I can't tell you right now what, what's happening, but one day it will make sense and you'll, you'll see that this was all part of my plan, not an accident. So take courage and trust me. Hold fast to your faith. Stand fast in his word. There's no other hope in this world. We can lose relationships. We can lose health. We can lose status. We can lose finances. We can lose control. But listen, nothing can touch who you are in Christ. The one who spoke the word, promises that are true, is the one who holds your world. He's holding your heart and your life and your future. He's holding our province and our nation and our world in his hands. And so as we roll out of here, here's my last thing for us. Here's some homework for you to do. If this is true, if we live in this space of Daniel 11, we see the promises have been fulfilled. We know the promises are going to be fulfilled. We have this hope in this God that he has a plan for us. Here's your homework. And if you're on your own, maybe just journal this. If you're here in your car, maybe, maybe you say, hey, well, let's pull over. We'll, we'll do this right now. Maybe you say, let's talk about this over lunch. If you're at home and you're gathered together, then, then do this as a group together. If you're by yourself, text somebody, phone them, chat with them. And here's what, here's what your homework is. Finish this sentence. With a hope I have, I will trust God with blank. What is it right now that you need to say, God, I'm gonna trust you with this? What's been revealed in this season? God, I, I'm gonna trust you with my job. God, I'm gonna trust you with my marriage. 
God, I'm gonna trust you with my kids. God, I'm gonna trust you with how my schooling goes. God, I'm gonna trust you with my friendships. God, I'm gonna trust you with my health. God, I'm gonna trust you with the freedoms that I've lost. God, I'm gonna trust you with my future, with my status. God, I'm gonna trust you with the mission you've called me to. God, I'm gonna trust you with my sinful past. I mean, what is that for you? How would you finish that sentence? And here's what I want you to do with it. Don't just keep it to yourself. Hope grows when we share it. So that you would talk about this, that you would pray with and for each other. Because living this out is not an easy call. We need each other. We need each other to remind us, remind us of God's promises, remind us of the gospel. So with those around you, be able to say, listen, guys, this is what I'm wrestling with, that that I'm going to say this, God, I'm trusting you with this, and then we can pray for each other. We can point each other to the hope we have. That Sunday worship is not a passive thing where you just come, listen to some dude talk, and you get to go home. No, it's active. You get to press in, so don't blow past this. But take some time together to be able to lay down what it is that you need to say, I'm laying this down because of my hope that I have. I'm putting my focus back on Jesus. I'm gathering together in community. I'm being sent out on mission. Because the one who spoke this word, we've seen it came true to the detail and it's going to come true again. The one who spoke the word is the one who holds my world. God, I can trust you with this. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, how much even this chapter that seems so confusing at first, but when it starts to get unpacked, God, just so much hope that your promises are fulfilled. So Lord, I pray that as we live out our life today, God, you'd fill us with the hope that can be found in you alone. That we could put our hope in your sovereign grace, your sovereign care and power, that we don't need to put our hope in our own strength or the approval of others or what we can gather in money or or fleeting pleasures or status or even mission that we've been called to, but God, our hope is in you alone so that when trials come, when hardships come, to be able to stand firm knowing, Lord, your promises remain. By your grace, we can endure. We can endure the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind us again, even today, remind us that that for the beloved, we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you so much. Look forward to next Sunday. Let's keep our focus on Jesus and go out on mission for his name. Amen. God bless.